Today on the Ex Nihilo podcast, we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 3, what happened in the garden that's ruined families. We're going to talk about biblical submission, biblical sacrifice, and stay-at-home dads, plus trad wives. Have you checked your TikTok lately? It's been going on. That's what's coming up. What's up, everyone? This is the Ex Nihilo Podcast. I'm Eddie. You know, this channel is all about us reclaiming some of what we lost in the garden. If you remember the story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates everything perfect. He creates everything beautiful, wonderful, good. Everything's amazing, right? And he even creates Adam and Eve, and he says, we're not just good, we're, we're very good. And so we get this first beautiful family, man and woman, in the garden and they're placed there and they're going to be there naked without shame. They, they get to be in relationship with one another. They get to be in relationship with God. The, the garden is beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. There's nothing horrible about it. It's great. So this channel is all about sort of reclaiming that. And we know we really can't reclaim it totally without Jesus coming back. But Jesus does tell us to sort of consider and pray uh, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our sort of cultural mandate is to to work and keep the garden. It's to, it's to have children. It's to do the work. It's to reclaim and sort of move heaven to earth with our callings and our vision for life and all this wonderful stuff. It's great. So we're sort of working towards that, that process. This channel is that and for our health and everything. And one of those big categories is family. One of those big categories is what does it mean for us in the garden to be Adam, to be Eve, to be the man, to be the woman? How do we order our lives? What was God's original plan for that? Now, there's been a lot of controversy lately, particularly with inflation, particularly with how expensive everything is, particularly with like the the pandemic, all this different stuff has brought up all this crazy stuff in us. It's brought up all these needs that we have, the desires that we have to sort of be ordered. And really what we're seeing is that, you know, the family's making a comeback. The family is absolutely making a comeback. I've, I've got some articles here I'm going to read you in a second. But what we know is people are more excited about a traditional family than ever before. And it's not because, I'd love to say it was, but it's not because we we need it or recognizing God's wonderful plan for the family is the way to do it. It's actually because what we're doing now isn't working. Like we're getting crushed. The way modern society has formulated family, formulated marriage and all sorts of stuff, it's just not working. I mean, I'm pulling up some articles on my phone here and I'm seeing the the travesty that's taking place across America, seeing how uh, people are getting divorced at high clips. 51% of marriages end in divorce. If you get married a second time, uh, 65% odds that you'd be divorced. And God willing, if you got married a third time, 73% chance of divorce. Now, those aren't good odds. What that means is that the family structure, the way we've set up our lives, the way we've set up how a marriage should work, isn't working. And what we're seeing is young people agree. They're seeing their parents get divorced and they're not wanting to do that. And we're seeing some really odd and bizarre trends, but I think they're trends that actually are pretty awesome, um, just at least at their core. They're a little corny, but at their core. There's one trend in particular called the trad wife. Have you heard of the trad wife? Trad wife is essentially uh, this weird, bizarre uh, trend on uh, TikTok and Instagram where women sort of dress in 1950s garb and they talk about how they're going to serve their husbands and 
bake cookies all day and uh, and make food. And some of it's funny, some of it's a little creepy, um, but I think the heart of it is interesting. I think the heart of it's interesting. I think it speaks to uh, the core and a lot of people that, man, I don't know if I want to go bait out and be a girl boss all day. I'm not sure I want to go be a girl boss. I'm not sure I want to go make all the big bucks. I actually like the idea of staying home and raising my my kids and um, cleaning the house and maintaining the home. If you have if you've lived in a dual income parent home or anything like that, you recognize the challenges there is around that. Like it's hard to actually have um, two parents working without such a high income that you could have a nanny or um, a a live-in grandparent or some exorbitant daycare. It's just really expensive to live that way. Most people can't. Um, so what they do is they juggle the children with their two jobs. Maybe one person works from home and they juggle and they juggle and they juggle and it's really challenging. Well, the trad wife trend sort of bucks the system. It goes against sort of that like go be a girl boss lifestyle and it goes up against this, you know what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm going to find a man that can provide for me. And it really just speaks to something in all of us that there's actually a good design um, that's been placed in us from the moment we came out. Uh, we are made in God's image. We are made as co-equal men and women in the image and likeness of God, but we were created to be like God and not like one another. Men and women are different. And, and, that, and that's controversial to say today. I get it. Um, I, you know, I, I don't agree with obviously the oppression of women, this sort of, um, this sort of idea of a patriarchy that's male, a male dominated society that abuses women. That's sick. It's demonic. But I do think men and women are created to be different. And when we lean into those differences, uh, predominant differences, but not exclusive differences, I think um, we actually see the most happiness and the most success as a marriage. Now, what I'm not saying is that women are like sensitive only and nurturing only and loving only and men are like dominant and mean and charging and leading. And that's just like the buckets. I, I mean, I, there's obvious spectrums for those emotions for across the board for men and women. But I do think there are hormonal and biological differences that we have that sort of um, lend us towards particular angles of those traits. <clears throat> so for instance, women by and large are more nurturing. They certainly uh, are typically people-based. Um, you can see that even in the workforce. They dominate fields like uh, nursing. They dominate fields like um, HR. They dominate fields like education because they typically are people-based psychology. They love people. They love to be with people. They love to support and nurture people, and that's great. Obviously, there are exceptions to that rule. No kidding. Men tend to be outcome-based. That's why they typically dominate uh, jobs in, uh, in the workforce like sanitary engineer, Things like that that are just very straightforward, sewer workers, I mean, things that are construction, this is the task, do the task, get paid. Men typically dominate those things predominantly, but not exclusively. And I think that's, you know, weirdly enough, it's controversial, but I don't think it's something to be ashamed of. I actually think if we were to order our lives around that order, around the fact that we are different, our marriages would have greater success. And I think that's why the trad wife trend is so popular because women are sensing the nurturing um, uh, predispositions in them and they want to go lean into those. And I think that's actually probably a really good thing for them to want to go do um, if they feel like they want to. 
Um, but it's important for us to really remember why we sort of fell off the wagon in the first place. And in order to do that, I feel like we need to go all the way back. So like, come with me and let's go all the way back to the garden. Remember, marriage in the beginning between Adam and Eve, it was perfect. In the beginning, God created everything perfectly. He creates, remember, beasts of the field, birds of the air, and they were created perfectly. He creates the heavens and the earth, they were created perfectly. He creates Adam and Eve, and they were created perfectly. They were in perfect relationship with one another, and they were in perfect relationship with God. It's beautiful. There was no conflict management. There was no uh, marital counseling from Adam and Eve. They just did it. There was no betrayal. There was no shame. None of it. Perfect. Until... Genesis chapter three. And if you remember in Genesis chapter three, God told them to avoid a particular tree in the garden. Remember he said, you can eat of any tree of the garden. All these are perfect, good to eat, but not this one tree. This tree, if you eat of it, it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's going to basically kill you. He says, if you eat of it, you're going to die. And so a few things happen. The woman decides sort of with the help of the serpent, he sort of slithers in. The woman decides she's going to quote, find out for herself, right? the consequences of disobeying God. And so she eats the fruit. Now, we live in a day where everyone is really excited to, quote, find out for themselves what's good and what's not good for them. This is a really bad idea. We should not, we should allow other people to pay our dumb taxes for us, our stupid taxes for us. We should learn from other people's mistakes. We should listen and heed wise counsel, right? The Bible talks about um, without uh, counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. That's the book of Proverbs. Eve didn't heed God's wisdom and advice. She heeded the serpent. It's really bad, bad wisdom, bad knowledge, bad information, and decides to go against what God uh, had told her to do. And so she, as a result, wanted to find out for herself. How many times in marriage counseling, how many times in just regular counseling, I've heard, yes, I know this guy is not good for me, or yes, I know this girl you say is a bad idea to, to be in a relationship with her, but I want to find out for myself whether or not that's a good idea. That's just really stupid, right? You know, as my grandfather said, you could drive a car with your feet if you want to, doesn't mean it's a good idea. There's a lot of things you could try to do. Uh, doesn't mean you should do them. And this is one of those things. You should not, as as my grandfather would say, drive the car with your feet in this sense. You should probably learn from somebody um, that's trying to help you. And so Eve does this. She wants to find out for herself the consequences of disobeying God. And so what does she do? She goes against her better judgment, against God's better judgment rather, and she takes part of the fruit. She eats the fruit. And so in comes sin, in comes shame, in comes all this horrible things. It says that she becomes ashamed of her bodies. She sews for, they sew for themselves the very first clothes uh, ever made, the first Louis Vuitton fig leaves and the uh, Balenciaga fig leaves, and she sews them for herself. Adam, he obliges Eve. God, remember, puts Adam in charge. The created order is Eve comes out of Adam. And he's sort of the the head of this and, and responsible. We kind of see the Bible talk about the order later. But essentially, Adam is is going to be passive in this scenario and allows Eve to, to not only eat of the fruit, but then she gives it to him and he goes, sure, I'll, I'll take part of the fruit as well. And then what happens? God shows up. God shows up and he's looking for Adam and Eve. And what does he do? What does he do first? He says, Adam, where are you? Does he say, Eve, where are you? Does he say, Adam and Eve, where are you? Does he say, people, where are you? No. He says, Adam, because he understands Adam as a sort of like functional head of the home here. 
And so he starts calling out for him. But the point is that Adam and Eve begin to hide. And so in in so in comes sin into the world. They their broken relationship with God. They've broken relationship with one another, and we see. Uh, how they've broken relationship with one another when God uh, calls out to Adam and Adam says, oh, this woman uh, that you gave me, she uh, she caused all the problems. And so he, he abdicates responsibility on her. She takes charge in her own right. And so we get sort of this flipping, this cosmic, weird, bizarre flipping of their roles and responsibilities where Adam was supposed to be leader, sort of defers to Eve. Eve sort of like takes charge. And, and now all of a sudden, like everything goes amok and marriage is sort of flipped. And so we get the world's first marriage fight taking place here. Um, and so now as a result, sin sort of makes us second guess all of what God's word says, it makes us second guess his words to us, including the, the, the rule don't eat of this one tree, right? Eve, Eve demonstrates that for us. And so sin's making us second guess God's, whether or not God's word is actually good for us. Now, even marriage's environment, begin if we're flourishing right this this environment for for intimacy relational sexual intimacy marriage begins to feel restrictive and we start to ask questions we ask questions like hmm why just marry one woman why not marry many women why do i keep the same spouse why don't i switch my spouses in and out why does marriage have to be between a man and a woman why, why Adam and Eve? Why not Adam and John? Or why not Eve and, you know, Samantha? Like, why? Why should I submit? Right? We hear this Ephesians 5 passage. We have this Colossians 3 passage, First First uh, Peter 3 passage, uh, Titus 2. Why, why would I submit for the man? Ephesians 5. Why would I sacrifice for her exactly? Why would I die like you, Jesus, dies for the church for her? I don't understand that. Like, shouldn't it be equal? Shouldn't we die for one another? Hmm. Why is marriage just between two people? We start asking these questions. Why not? Is why isn't marriage three or four or five people? Why not like a thruple, right, or quadruple, or pentuple, where groups of people are married? Why can't I marry an animal? Why can't I marry a house? Why even get married at all? And that's the fun question that a lot of us are asking in 2023, isn't it? Why get married at all? Why, if women are so terrible and they just want to use me for my resources and they just want to steal my money and they just want to divorce me and take half and take the kids, would I ever get married to a woman? Why would I marry a man when they're all dogs and all they want to do is use me for my body? Why get married at all? Now, I want to say this as lovingly as possible and hopefully it comes out respectfully to you. I want to tell you that if you ask any of those questions, you know, why do I marry one woman? Why should I ever get married? You know, why, why not divorce this person? Whatever it is, I want to tell you that if you're asking those questions, the Bible teaches that the reason you ask those questions is because sin entered the world. Because you and I now have sin natures as a condition embedded in our DNA, and we have a fundamental mistrust of God that's buried deep within us. And now, even now, the environment that God gave us for uh, flourishing in our relationships together, marriage, feels oppressive and restrictive. I want to tell you that the questions, if we have any of those questions, why should I submit? Why should I sacrifice? Those questions are wrong, are really the wrong question because they all presuppose a distrust in God. They all presuppose that God's design for marriage is somehow flawed and we need to second guess it. And practically speaking, 
Sin in the world has led to all sorts of marriage problems, all sorts of issues. Why are marriages ending across the board? Well, the number one reason we know statistically, like Pew studies, Pew research, we know the number one reason why marriages end is because of infidelity. So physical or emotional unfaithfulness, people cheating on one another is the way we would say it. They're trifling. They go behind our back. We, they, they violate the exclusivity of a marriage and they cheat uh, digitally, emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever it is. Right. The second reason why marriages end, and again, this is all undergirded by this idea, Genesis chapter three, coming in the world, sin. It's because we're spiritually unaligned. It's because we're spiritually unaligned. We divorce because um, people marry people that are not of the same religion or worldview of as them. So, for instance, a Christian might marry a Muslim, um, not thinking twice about the fact that we don't have a united view on God, and so therefore there's no higher authority to appeal to if there's an argument. And one of we're each going to different authorities, but neither of us respects the other authority. And so all of a sudden the problem ensues. And now your kids are confused because they don't know whether or not to go to mass or synagogue or church or whatever, or yoga studio or nothing. They have no clue. And so marrying someone that doesn't share your faith or worldview basically sets your marriage up for failure from the very beginning. And this is just, this is not my opinion. This is just statistically why people get divorced. Another reason people get divorced, quote, lack of compatibility. People think that they're not compatible. So we go through the trouble of getting married to someone we don't even like, we don't even respect, we don't even care about. And so we maybe think they're hot or something, or maybe we thought they'd bring up our status or they had a lot of money. And so we marry them. Uh, But then what happens is we eventually get frustrated with the fact that we realize after being with them for a certain amount of time, we don't really aren't really compatible. We don't share interests. We're not your friends with people I don't like. Well, that could happen. I mean, we all all of our spouses, boy, uh, husbands, partners, whatever. They all marry. You know, they all have friends of people we don't like, right? I mean, no offense to my wife, but you know, what I'm saying she's got friends I don't like. It just is what it is. She, I've got friends she probably isn't too too fond of either. But what we're saying is ultimately neither of them find themselves compatible. That's brutal. Another reason people get divorced. And this is all going to come back together with this trad wife idea, right? This idea that women want the traditional marriage. Cohabitation. Cohabitation is another reason. We actually awaken love before it's time. The Bible talks about in the Song of Songs, do not awaken love before it's time. And people that cohabitate essentially live and sleep with, and when I say sleep with, I mean probably have sex with people they're not married to. Um, And statistically, If you live and sleep with someone you're not married to, no matter how much you think you're in love with them, you are significantly more likely to end the marriage to get divorced. It just is what it is if you even get married in the first place. And the time between engagement and marriage uh, goes up significantly if you're cohabitating because guess what? You have all the benefits of the marriage without any of the obligation. So why on earth... Would I rush to get married if I'm a guy who's getting everything I, quote, need from the woman? I'm getting to have sex with her. I'm getting to enjoy her company. We're getting to watch Netflix in the evenings, hanging out. We get to make jokes about how you like your coffee this way and you do this with your laundry. Ha, ha, ha. You got all the benefits and no obligation, no financial obligation, no shared bank accounts, no no shared burden of a will or anything like that, no kids, God willing, no kids. 
um, man, you toss kids in the middle of a cohabitating relationship and the odds of marriage go down significantly, significantly. The odds of divorce go up if you do get married. We're just setting ourselves up to fail. So when we say marriage has a 50% chance of failure, look at all the variables. Look at all the variables of what you're doing before your marriage. You're not even doing marriage properly, and so you're wondering why it's failing. It's like liter- it's like pouring diesel fuel into your unleaded gas tank and going, well, the cars don't work. No, that's, re- that's dumb. It's, it's not that cars don't work. It's that you're doing it wrong. It's that you don't know what you're talking about. And you say, like, I don't understand you know, why my car's not driving. Yeah, it makes sense. You poured antifreeze into your transmission fluid. And you thought, and you poured transmission fluid in your gas tank and gasoline into your, and you're just in, in your water and you think, well, oh, cars don't work now. So therefore I'm not going to drive a car. I'm going to take the bus. That's, that's dumb. You're doing marriage wrong. Understand that marriage comes from scripture. It's a biblical idea and understanding here. What two people become one flesh. There's a design for men and women placed into the garden in order to flourish. And when we don't do anything that that we're supposed to do in this environment, you know, that God lays out for us, we don't set it up the way God does, no wonder it's not going to work. <clears throat> it makes perfect sense why it doesn't. So why else are marriages ending? Addiction. Addiction, and I got, I'm looking at my phone here, I got all sorts of articles I could pull up that show you the the, the ridiculous uh, effect that addiction has on marriages. I'm going to go over some, some different articles later in the show. But sex addiction, right? So husbands that go to strip clubs, buy prostitutes. You think you think that's crazy? It's It's not crazy. People are doing this all across America. Love addiction, where you fall in love with people you're not, you're not um, married to. Another crazy phenomenon that takes place. Um, it's happening all over the place. Um, so sex addiction, love addiction, digital addiction, things like pornography. The fastest growing consumer, by the way, ladies, of pornography in America is women. This is not just a male issue. Um, these are massive problems. And then there's also the, the, the proliferation and the growing of other different types of addiction, one of them being something called OnlyFans. Now, I'm sure many of you know what OnlyFans is, but think about this idea of pornography and what it does to you, and then take OnlyFans. Um, uh, OnlyFans is essentially live pornography where you can engage a woman uh, via chat, via, via message, um, and, and talk to her and DM her and she'll send you pictures and videos and whatever else on the back end. And it's a subscription service and you make money off of it. And maybe you've never heard of it. I wouldn't recommend at all going down this road and trying to understand it. It's, it's toxic and horrifying. But all that to say, the pornography industry is getting a lot wiser. It's an evolved message and it's not just going after our sexual desires. It's sort of preying on our imago day, our deepest desire, which is intimacy and companionship. OnlyFans has 170 million users. So you say, I don't think anyone's using that. 170 million users, 1.5 million content creators, and every day as of 2022, 500,000 new users join OnlyFans. 500,000. This is an undeclared catastrophe. But what it's demonstrating 
because OnlyFans is unique. It, what's uniquely pernicious about it is that how it's exploiting not just our need for like sexual gratification, but it's exploiting our desire for companionship and intimacy, particularly amongst lonely and outcasted men. There's an article written. I'll read this quote to you. Check this out. It says that lonely men are moved to give in to their desires and may develop an addiction of explicit content. This argument also stands for regular illicit sites, but with OnlyFans, there's also the, the, the uh, faked personal connection. Um, lonely men on the edge of depression might easily fall for the companionship that the models offer and substitute real connections for the ones they pay for. So this isn't not only sinful, certainly we could say like any Christian would be like, oh, that's a sin. Of course it's a sin. It's not only sinful, it's psychologically abusive. And it preys on the man's imago day and their desire for connection and intimacy. Pornography is sort of the version, like as a whole, we know that men are obviously objectified in pornography as well. But as a whole, women are, are totally abused and objectified by pornography and it's destroying marriage and all that stuff. We know that's true. OnlyFans is sort of like the counter to that. It's like women taking their bodies and sort of, okay, you you want to objectify me? Well, I'll let you do that, but I'm going to objectify you on the back end. And not only that, I'm going to get you to pay for it. And so, you know, you want to see my body? Fine. Uh, I'm going to take your soul. I'm going to take your intimacy, your desire for intimacy, and I'm going to twist it all around, and I'm going to wreck you. And that's what that's doing. It's giving man this fake connection with a woman that really doesn't care at all. And to some women through OnlyFans are being objectified on the back end, like a pimp, where we've got men, men that won't be named, will sort of be pimping out these women in these chat sites. And so then they'll be using her body for the images, taking cuts of the money, and then responding to the women, responding to the men, rather, on behalf of the woman. So you're not even actually blogging or talking to a woman. You're talking to a man. <clears throat> That's brutal. That's absolutely brutal. And this is what, this is twisting us all around. When you talk about why marriages are ending, infidelity, lack of compatibility, we're not spiritually aligned, cohabitation, addiction, this might be the most insidious version of it. I mean, the, and, and the pornography statistics already speak for themselves, right? For, uh, these statistics, according to Pew, 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 80% of men age 18 to 40 regularly view a porn site in a typical month. 38% of adults believe pornography is uh, morally acceptable. Ladies, like I said, one-third of pornography viewers are women, the fastest-growing demographic. And men are particularly affected uh, by pornography, obviously. Uh, there's a book called Cheap Sex. I'd recommend that to anybody by Mark Regeneres. He says that men can, quote, see more flesh in five minutes than their great-grandfathers could see in a lifetime. And that's absolutely true with things like OnlyFans. And it speaks to one of the reasons why marriages are ending at such a high clip. The state of marriage is overwhelming. But I will say that there's a reason why marriages are ending. And it's not just that men and women don't like each other or men are dogs or women are, are, are using men and dumping them or whatever. It's not that simple. It's that we have essentially what is a premium fuel car that takes unleaded fuel, which is a marriage, that God's, God's good design for marriage. We see its beauty in the Garden of Eden. We see it that requires a, a shared calling and a shared vision, 
for, for their lives. It requires uh, a desire for children or at least some version of be fruitful and multiply. And it's we see that it's a beautiful, wonderful partnership made co-equals in the image and likeness of God, but not created exactly to be like one another. Distinct complementary roles, but co-equal. There's that design. And when we manipulate and change the design, it, the car breaks down. So you have this beautiful car. And then all of a sudden, you, like I said, you're pouring antifreeze in the gas tank and wondering why doesn't the cars don't work. Cars do work. You're just doing it wrong, right? So it's not to say marriage isn't hard. It's to say you're making it hard on yourself by, by not um, submitting to the design of marriage. So marriages are absolutely, you know, sort of in shambles as a result of all of this and it's taking place. So what's helpful to know is to, you know, what is the actual design of a marriage? And we, we have some of these passages, right? We talk about Ephesians chapter five, wives, you know, submit to your husbands. There's this idea of mutual submission um, for, for all people. But then there's also this wife submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And the husband is the head of the wife. But then you've got this passage on the back end where Paul says for husbands, um, die for your for your wives or husbands sacrifice yourselves and love them like Christ loves the church and gave himself up and died for the church. So we've got this version of mutual submission where the wives are sort of lovingly deferring to the husband and we've got the husband sacrificially dying for the wife and laying it on the line for her. And I'll just say, ladies, I know that that sounds challenging. I know that's particularly in um, 2023, hearing a word like submit makes it feel like you're lesser than. And I just want to say that's just not true. So when you read passages like Ephesians chapter 5, and you see passages like this, I, I just would say a lot of people would use, opponents of the Bible will use um, verses like this as some sort of like way to say that the Bible is an oppressive tool designed to suppress the freedom of women at the hands of the patriarchy. But that's just not what God's design is. It, it may be the design of some marriages today. It may be the design of some people today. Maybe some abusive men have ordered their lives that way, but that's not what God's intention was for this passage. If we want to understand what it means to like live the ex nihilo lifestyle, remember what it was like to come from nothing into that perfect perfection, then we need to know that that's not what God's design was, right? Jesus says, from the beginning, it was not so, right? There, from the beginning, there was a, a better design for marriage. The other thing you, for ladies to know around submission is that Ephesians 5 or any of these passages, Colossians 3, uh, when they say submit, this isn't a call for all women to submit to all men. Women are not subordinate to men in any sway. God didn't make that. This is not an admonition for women to submit to men. It's an admonition for one wife to submit to one husband. So this, this passage doesn't apply at work or doesn't apply in your community. It doesn't apply in your dating relationship. It doesn't apply in your engagement. If you've got a husband or a, or a future husband and who's like asking you to submit in an engaging relationship, say no. You submit to Jesus. Like that's until you put a ring on it, I'm not doing it. And good for you. I mean, I've got three daughters. That's how I'm that's how I'm pitching it. Um, third thing around this idea for you, ladies, around submission, is that you're called to submit to one man, and it's the man of your choosing. When you choose your husband, you're essentially looking for a man who is loving, who is kind, who is willing to provide, protect the family. And he's one who's willing to res assume responsibility when the family is not doing well as the head. So ladies, you're looking for a man who 
um, is good, godly, trustworthy, and 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 follows Jesus, um, and you're giving him over, you're 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 making the choice to give over responsibility and authority for your marriage and your children to this man, and he's responsible for when it doesn't go well. Now, you or the kids or whoever that you may be at fault in any given scenario. The man may be at fault, but who's ultimately responsible? Well. God came looking for Adam. He didn't come looking for Eve. He held Adam responsible for the actions of himself and Eve. He is the one who's responsible and the husband is responsible for the family. You should allow him to have that. Like you can defer to that. Now I'm not saying, and the Bible wouldn't say tell for you to submit to ungodly authority. That's not true. You always have the ability to go over your husband's head to the, who's the actual authority of the whole relationship, which is Jesus. You always have that. You can always go to God and go, go to the scripture and say, hey, listen, you're not following what God says to follow. You always have that ability to do that. But submission essentially is you giving over authority to a man of your choosing, right? To hold the pressure and responsibility of providing and protecting and caring for you and your children if you have them. Okay. Think about it like a first among equals, right? There may be times where you are like deadlocked in a conversation and you don't know who's going to, you know, like, you know, what are we going to do? Right. You can defer to your husband in those situations, knowing that he's essentially responsible for the marriage or the family. If the decision goes south, it's on him, right? That's the way, um, is a helpful way to think about it. Submission is also about really showing respect. It's a way to honor your husband. When you submit to your husband, even if you disagree with him, and don't see it eye to eye, you're actually showing him a form of respect. And there's a great book, Love and Respect. It talks about how women deeply desire uh, a love in their relationship. They want to be loved, cared for, and sacrificed for. And then women uh, or men really need us. Uh, did I say that right? I hope I said that right. I'll say it again. Women really deeply require love from their husbands to be sacrificed for. And then men require rather uh, respect, that they want to be respected and honored. And, you know, it's funny. We, we feel like we need those in our gut. And that's actually the way God has designed us in Scripture. We see it play out that way here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, which is cool. Now, if you still have questions about submitting, ladies, I get it. I think I would hold off judgment until you get through the rest of the passage. Because Ephesians chapter 5 keeps going. And in verse 25... God, or Paul, the, the author through God, uh, by way of the Holy Spirit, right? Through God, the author of scripture. He says through two husbands, husbands love your wives now. So wives submit to your husbands, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up and died for her, right? And so I always like to add that and died for her part because how did Jesus Christ love his church? Well, he, he sacrificed himself. He died for his church. And so our love as husbands, you know, I've been married a long time now with four kids, like I mentioned, our responsibility of husband is 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 to give myself up for my wife. Now, wife, while your role is to submit, husband, you're to give yourself up, you're to die for her. So our love is, to, uh, or let's just say as a husband, if you're watching a husband, your love to your wife is to mirror the love that Christ had for the church. And again, how did he love the church? He died for her. So... While the wife is called to submit, the man's called to die, and this means men, we're supposed to be good, godly, loving, strong, sacrificial, courageous, and bold in our relationships and in our marriages, right? That's that's the goal. And we do that because that's how Jesus was towards the church, right? We're loving our wives as Christ, Christ loved the church. He fought for his church, and he was victorious for his church, and this is how our demeanor should be. We should seek to win the marriage well, because that's what Jesus did, right? That's what real love looks like. I'll tell you what love 
doesn't look like for many of us. And that's domineering. It's abusive. It's coercive. It's manipulative. That's not what love looks like. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. A lot of people love our wives like Satan attacks the church. And so we're, instead of being loving and sacrificial and bold and courageous, we're cowardly, we're passive, we're abusive, we're coercive, we're domineering, we're frustrating, we're angry, because that's how Satan attacks the church. And a lot of us men, we go, well, the wives, they need to be doing this, this, and this, and you're trying to reciprocate the relationship. Well, Jesus didn't go, well, I'll die for you, but you need to do a bunch of this stuff for me first. That's not how he loved the church. That's, that's how Satan talks to the church. It's tit for tat. You, what have you done for me lately? Jesus is sacrificial. He's generous. He's overflowing with his blessing. And so men, if you want your wife to respect you, the key to be respect, getting respect from your wife is to be respectable. Ladies, if you've chosen to get married, great. You get to choose one man and you get to choose one man to submit to. But when you choose, choose a man that loves you or will love you like Jesus loves you. Uh, like Jesus, or at least in that same manner, right? That's what you're looking for. And who wouldn't want, if you could, submit to a man who's good and godly and loving and strong and providing and sacrificial and courageous and bold and who's willing to die for you and your kids uh, if you give them kids, how does that sound? That sounds like a lot better than like following any old man who's abusive or angry. Like you shouldn't do that. God's not calling you to do that. You sh absolutely shouldn't be seeking to follow any old man. No. And I have, like I said, I have three daughters. If God tells you to submit to a man that is like Jesus because Jesus dies for the church, do you know what that means? It means that you ladies are worth dying for. So what I would say is choose a man that is equal to your worth. Jesus wants you to be under the authority of someone who's willing to die for you. Find that man that's worthy to die for you. And if, if your man isn't like that, well, you've got a lot of work to do and that, that's okay. It, it, can, it can change. Your, your marriage doesn't have to fail uh, just because you know, you're frustrated uh, in your marriage. It, it can still improve. But all that to say, there's a, a loving submission from the wife. There's a uh, and a respectful submission, and there's also a loving, sacrificial, um, sacrificial dying for, sacrificing the man towards the wife. And so there we have this beautiful picture of mutual submission that takes place, and it's wonderful, and it's glorious, and it's godly. If we're to order our lives that way, then all of a sudden, some of the issues we see in modern marriages don't necessarily happen. We talk about like the the um, infidelity. Well, it's harder to be unfaithful to a man that's loving, generous, kind, strong, courageous, sacrificial. It's harder to find that, right? And men, if, if your wife is submissive and loving and nurturing to your children and cares for you and is supportive, we talk about this helper and this idea, it's harder to be unfaithful because you've got yourself an amazing woman. That's not impossible. Great women and great men get cheated on all the time, of course. But it's a lot hard. It's a lot harder for those marriages to to falter in a crack. If you order yourselves this way, you find all of a sudden you're much more compatible than you thought. Maybe that lack of compatibility is no longer a problem. All of a sudden, you become spiritually aligned because if you order your lives at the submission sacrifice paradigm, you've submitted to the biblical vision of marriage. If you submit to that then all of a sudden cohabitation is no longer a factor because you know you can't practice godly marriage. 
you can't practice oneness, right? The two becoming one flesh. You basically just awaken love before it's time and you wreck the system. You know that you can't practice that, right? Do not awaken love's time before it's time. Don't have sex before you're married because all of a sudden you bring all that baggage into your marriage and it absolutely destroys you. Now, if you've already done that, there's grace for you. You can be redeemed and renewed and restored in Jesus and you can be made clean and you can go into your marriage in a beautiful way um, where you're engaging like it is the first time and going back to that garden narrative, right? Allowing the Holy Spirit to come upon you, allowing Jesus' blood to cover you and now all of a sudden, boom, you find yourself in a marriage where there's forgiveness and redemption and it's and you can be naked again and without shame just like it would have been had you not made those mistakes. That's what Jesus, that's what the cross does for us, right? It's this beautiful, wonderful thing. Addiction, all of a sudden addiction is no longer as big of a factor because if you're looking at marriage through sacrifice and submission, now all of a sudden the the temptations and the self-control, the temptations rather can be overcome by self-control because you're focusing more, far more on what God's design is than you are just purely sexual gratification. It's this beautiful thing. So it brings us to this, you know, this idea of like the trad wife, right? And it brings us to this idea of why women want traditional marriages, right? We see the faltering, the failures of all of, like all of the, uh, the, the new modern ways of dating, the dating apps and uh, hooking up, shacking up, breaking up. We're seeing how that's all faltering. And so women are sort of funk, going back to this sort of funky, like I want to be a traditional wife. Now, Again, some of the trad wife stuff, and you know, you're you're seeing it here on the screen, is is honestly really weird or creepy. But the the sentiment is really important. I think the sentiment is important because it shows that women are saying, "I want to go back to a day where I can just be a woman in the home, and and care for my husband, and care for my kids, and care for my home, and make this place a great place for us to flourish." Is it for everybody? Of course not right? We talk about predominantly, but not exclusively. Like women have this pre-orientation, but it not, might not be for you. That's it's not the point. It's it's not that, but, there, but one thing that is for us is that we are supposed to care for our husbands and wives in that relationship and care for our children. And so important thing is that you're ordering your life in such a way um, where those things can still happen. And so if you're sacrificing um, the, the, if you're sacrificing the ideal so you can earn more money, earn more cash, or so you can be a girl boss or, you know, or so you could basically split things 50-50 or whatever for the sake of equity or equality or egalitarianism, I would just say, man, that's a heck of a price to pay, right? It's a heck of a price to pay and you're flipping a coin on whether or not you'd order your life well. But, you know, can a wife work? Of course, yeah. I mean, there's ways for all these things to work. I just think that it's important for us to consider. And I'd say for the men, if your wife has a calling to be in the home, to be, you know, to to be raising her children, to be caring for the home, to be a, a stay-at-home mother, um, so that way she can provide for her kids. You need to figure out a way to make that happen. I would say that it's not up for debate whether or not you know cultural ideals of you know fifty-fifty and egalitarianism were the same. Um, that that is not a biblical. That's not God's design for for the biblical marriage. God's design for the biblical marriage is for us to like love our to maintain our households, right? First Timothy 5, 8, and to care for our children. If your wife's desire and her ability is to do that from home, then you need to make sure that it, as the sacrificial provider for the family that you make that happen. And so, you know, I, I've been quite honestly very discouraged 
very discouraged by some posts I've posted on Instagram around this topic, around, you know, husbands making a way for their wives to stay home. And what I've seen from the men is just this like, well, that's not possible. I can't do that. I There's no way I'm going to be able to make enough money. She needs to go to work so we can live. I'm just trying to pay bills. And it's like such this melancholy, sad, like feeling bad for themselves sort of mindset where they have such limiting thoughts. And I went into that thinking, well, the issue is probably on, on men and women. But what I'm seeing is that, geez, men, you feel so bad for yourself. There are ways for you to earn more money. You do not have to stay at the same job. You do not, you are not a victim of your circumstance. You are not a victim to inflation. You're not a victim to Joe Biden or Trump or whoever who's like stopping you from being able to pay. So your wife has to work and your kids have to be in daycare or whatever. You're you've got to have the baby on your lap where you're stay you know, working from home. Figure out a way as the sacrificial provider, right? Ephesians 5, as the sacrificial provider to go give yourself up and die for your wife so she can do what she feels called to do. If she feels called to it, make it happen. Go get another job, get two jobs, work your way up, uh, get promoted. Is it going to happen overnight if you're already there? Probably not. Like maybe for some people, yeah, but probably not. If it can, great. But take the time, take the the weeks and the months to figure out how this is going to happen. Work your way up, earn more money so your wife can come home and do what she feels called to do instead of burning the candle at both ends. It's no wonder 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's no wonder 50% of marriages end because men don't want to make the sacrifice for their wives to do what they feel called to do. And you're like, well, I just want to, well, I coach soccer after. It's like, well, stop coaching soccer. You say, well, I'm called to coach soccer. No, you're not. Not if your wife is struggling. You know what you're called to first? You're called first to provide for your family. First Timothy 5, 8, if a person does not provide for the needs of their family, they're denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. That's your first call. Your first call is to your wife and to your children, not to coach baseball or soccer or basketball or to really go work on your short game or to go bowling with the buds or go quadding or whatever the heck else. Your first call is to them. So it means that you're going to have to make more money. And then don't give me this bait and switch like, well, if I'm working all day, then my kids are never going to know me and they're going to turn on me. So what you're basically saying is, if you if you made that argument, it's that you, what you've basically said is the worst case scenario of this situation, which is that if I work too much and my wife stays home, my kids are going to resent me because all I do is work. That scenario is far worse than the best case scenario of me and my wife both working where for some reason in this perspective – you and your wife work and the kids get to see and enjoy both of you equally somehow, but they're either in daycare or being raised by somebody else. Stop. You can't compare the worst version of this situation to the best version of this situation. The best version of the, the situation where your wife wants to stay home is that she lovingly leads the home, takes care of the children, and uh, provides a great environment, whatever it is, however she you guys decide to divide up all that stuff. And that you work really, really, really hard so that she can do that and your children grow up to see how sacrificial their dad is so they can have their mother around. Versus the worst version of we're going to just 
both work and both be burnt out and both split all the housework and both split everything and nothing really ever gets done because everything's done at 60% because we're doing too much and we're burning out, which is probably where you're at because that's where most Americans are. If we're actually honest with ourselves and you're not making such an exorbitant income that your wife can have a nanny or you're, um, you, you can have a, a live-in grandparent or something like that, you're probably just stretched so thin that you don't know how to make it and you're medicating with alcohol or you're medicating with vacations or buying other all this other stuff. All that to say, man, you need to figure out a way to make this happen. And I'm not saying your wife has to be a trad wife and dress in the 1950s garb. In fact, I think that's super weird. Unless she wants to, then do you. But my point is, you need to figure out a way to make it happen. On the flip side, there's an article here, Pew Research, August 3rd, 2023. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Almost... Here it is. Almost one in five stay-at-home parents in the United States are dads. So I post an article or a, um, a post on Instagram around how if a, a wife desires to stay at home with the kids, that a husband should try to make that happen. And I, I think that's true. And the response to a lot of that was from a bunch of men. And some of them were saying, well, what if I want to be the stay-at-home dad? And listen, I don't want to call balls and strikes where the Bible doesn't call balls and strikes, but this is a podcast. This is not this. This isn't the pulpit. So I'm just going to tell you what I think. Genesis chapter one and two, we see a clear cultural mandate. Adam's given a calling to work and to keep the garden. He has a calling from God before sin even enters the world. So what does that tell you, men? It tells you that men were designed for work. Eve shows up. You know, she find Genesis two. We finds a helper suitable for him, and they're sort of given this sort of shared calling to work and keep the garden right together. Right? They they've got different, distinct, uh, unique roles and complementary um, complementary roles in that process. We just talked about, um, but they're made and they're made equal in the image and likeness of God. But they're they're different. But Adam, you've been given this call. It's really interesting to me. I'm just gonna try to. Maybe it's a correlation. I doubt it's a causation. Maybe it is. It's really interesting to me. That when Genesis chapter three happens and Adam all of a sudden says, you know what? I think I'm going to abdicate responsibility. I think I'm going to sort of give, defer to Eve and allow her to eat this fruit. And then I'll sort of like passively go alongside her and then blame her on the back end. It's really interesting to me that men want to follow that same pattern. It's really interesting to me. You call it maybe a coincidence that all of a sudden men now want to stay at home with their kids, abdicate responsibility of their curse in Genesis three, which is to, by the sweat of their brow, work the garden, thorns and thistles, all of that stuff, and give that to Eve, who, by the way, is more than happy to take on that responsibility right now and sort of take charge and take the lead. Also curious um, because Eve did that in the garden. It's weird how we're sort of following that pattern. It's almost as if the Bible's trying to tell us something, like we're following this uh, disordered pattern. Um, but for you men, one in five parents are stay-at-home dads now, for a season, if there's an issue, are there exceptions to the rule? Obviously, there's men with like a. I have a friend, you know, some friends that at ALS, they can't work anymore. You know, they're in between jobs, yada yada yada. They're starting a business. I'm not calling balls and strikes where the where uh, where the Bible does. I don't want to do that. But I will say is that men are given a unique calling to work and keep the garden. You're biologically and chemically wired that way. And it's really bizarre that you would take that lead and then allow your wife to go out and get all the gray hair and be stressed out at her work and her job. And you say, well, but she loves the job. Maybe she does. Then order your life in such a way where 
she can do that job and you can also work and your kids are still cared for. But don't go sit at home all day and couch surf at your buddy's house and play video games and say, oh, the, God's designed this, God's designed uh, the world like this for me. It's just, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not buying that. I'm really not buying that. Um, I'll read some of the articles. The share of parents in the United States who are not employed for pay um, has been fairly stable over the last five years. In 2021, 18% of parents didn't work for pay. Um, and 18, and those 18%, and, and out of that, one-fifth of those were men, which is just such a fascinating thing. Over the past 30 years, the share of stay-at-home dads and parents has fluctuated during periods of higher unemployment. But it's fascinating to see that stay-at-home fathers are going up from only four per, 3 to 4% in 1989 to almost doubling that 7 and change percent in 2021. That's a really interesting pattern. It's a really interesting pattern to see men want to stay at home. There's a really interesting book, and I'm going to get into this in a later podcast. I think I'll do a whole podcast on it, but it's called This is Your Brain on Birth Control. Uh, it's a great book, but it's fascinating around. It talks about the pill and how the pill basically you know, suppresses ovulation in women. But you, funny enough, this PhD, she goes through and she says how um, the suppression of ovulation in women changes who she's attracted to. And so she becomes attracted to uh, less masculine men who are more like partners and less like providers. It's just, it's, it's just total scientific. It's not a Christian book or anything. But I wonder if the prevalence of the birth control pill has changed how women are attracted to men over the, over the years. And what's funny is when women go off the pill, they find themselves less attracted to uh, uh, less masculine men and more attracted to more dominant men, which may contribute um, to some of the uh, infidelity statistics we talked about earlier. Fascinating stuff. All I have to say is like we don't know the ramification. When we talk about ex nihilo, the way we were created in the garden, women were created to ovulate. And when they're not ovulating for the fe- so that they, they have sexual freedom, it's changing who they're attracted to, and it's sort of messing with the design of how men were created and how women were created. And here's the kicker. Dave Asprey talked about this in one of his podcasts, the Bulletproof Guy, uh, the Upgrade Upgrade Podcast or whatever it's called. I love, I love a lot of his stuff. But he talked about how men can sense women's ovulation biologically and their levels of testosterone drop when a woman's not ovulating to make themselves more appealing to a woman who's not ovulating. But also, they just don't need the testosterone. But we also know that men's testosterone across the United States has dropped significantly over the last 30, 40 years. Weird. We're messing with something. We're messing with God's design. And it's making the marriage change. And so the divorce rates are going up and all these things. And we're seeing now all of a sudden 20% of men, 18% according to Pew, want to be stay-at-home fathers. Women are marrying men that are more than happy to have them take on the the major financial burden. Um, and that's new. This is all new and it's all an experiment. What's taking place. What do we do about this? Like, what's the, like, what's the big E on the I chart? Like, what can we do? Well, I think what we do is we like the whole ex nihilo channel is, is we look back to the garden's original design. Like Jesus talks about Matthew 19 from the beginning. It was not so. Yes, men don't want to work now, but from the beginning, it was not so. 
Yes, women want to dominate the home, dominate the workplace, but from the beginning, it was not so. Yes, you know, women now want to like outsource and men want to outsource the rearing of their children, but from the beginning, it was not so. I think we need to look back at the garden and see God's original design for marriage because that's what's coming on the back end when Jesus returns with the new kingdom. This doesn't mean that women don't work or can't work. Absolutely not. Women were equal partners in the garden. Eve was an equal partner in the garden with Adam. It doesn't mean that Adam doesn't care for his kids. Absolutely not. Our, a man's desire and job is to provide for the needs of their children. And so we've got to find this happy medium by submitting to scripture. The key will be don't look to the culture for cues on how to raise your children and how to live your life as a married person. Don't do that because guess what? It's not going very well for them. It's not going well for culture. Kids are unhappy. Families are depressed. Marriages are ending. Look to the Bible for truth and use wisdom, which is applied knowledge, apply the scripture to our lives to figure out how we're going to order our homes, biblical submission, biblical sacrifice, cultural mandate of having a shared calling, pursuing life and caring about their children first before career, before being a, a red pill, a high value man or a girl boss, be a sacrificial servant hearted lover who loves their wives like Christ loves the church and who loves and respects their husband as, as a woman should as laid out in scripture. That's what we should do. Until then, we sort of go on this journey together and figure out, hey, how do we do this together? I think that's what's important. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. If you would and you're on YouTube, like and subscribe this channel and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all that stuff. But until next time, we'll see you.